Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show, your guide to a better cricket for a little while. We're going to ha- just to chat about the game, whether it's playing it or coaching it. We don't mind. Uh, we're just going to get into the cricket for a little while. Who are we? Well, my name is David Hinchliffe. I look after things here. And helping me to help you are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Hello, Garris. How's it going? I'm very well, actually. I've just been sent through a picture of me from a long time ago, which just made me chuckle. Lovely. Glad hair. But, I was going to uh, say yeah, how much hair. Good. Lots, lots more than present, that is for sure. A, a thick mane. Yes, yes. I was noted for it back in the day, but not so much nowadays. <laughs> Secondly, it's a, a man with uh, what can only be described as a lustrous head of hair. It's the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School, Sam Lavery. Hello, Lavers. Well, it's the first day back from first day back at school with everyone here, so um, it's nice to hear from anyone else. I think really, there other than uh, the uh, the fifteen hundred children who just returned. Yeah, oh, chaos in shoes. I'm absolutely sure of that. Actually, everyone's looking pretty organised and pretty slick at the moment. It might not last very long, but at the moment, everyone seems to be on their game, very well prepared. Yeah. Um, Pencil sharpened? Well, yeah, I don't think I have any pencils or pens. I'm not really here for writing, <laughs> but um, which, is, which is a good thing. Um, nor reading, I should say. But, um, yeah, it's, everything, everything looks like it's uh, selling quite nicely, which is good. Good, good. And there's going to be plenty of practice going on uh, in the next uh, few weeks and months. And one thing I was uh, reading about this week um, was a type of practice or a a word that uh, has sort of come to the fore recently in practice, which is variability. Um, And this idea of perhaps in the old days, you would uh, you would practice any any sporting skill by you know repeating it over and over again until you got the technique right but um these days that there tends to be a move away from that and it tends to be a more towards sort of presenting problems to players and, and that that word variability comes in because you present different problems variable problems to those players and, and help them work out how to solve those problems and i guess uh, really that there's um as we move more towards that i was wanted to get your opinions of it you know how do you use that uh, that word variability practically and um how can you add it into uh, training without it seeming like a gimmick to to the people who are who are trying to improve their game um i, I also think though coming taking it a different angle is that coaches have a preference for either being more variable in their coaching irrespective of research that may or may not be out there and some uh, are more into grooving so I work with a coach that would be more down the grooving line and and consistency and repeatability and um, uh, increasing volume rather than myself I think I've always been somebody who has varied stuff because that's the way that I'm programmed it's not to say whether it's right or wrong or better or worse it's just the way that I'm programmed so the variability sort of trend that's now in there you know for my ears is fantastic but that but equally over 
the years that I've coached, I've also begun as I've become more self-aware to recognise that whilst I'm normally on that end of the spectrum, there are there are players that need a lot more volume and a lot more um, consistency and repeatability um, than, than maybe I normally project. So I, I've I've actually come back a bit to mix it up more uh, of my variability stuff with loading and grooving and uh, volume uh, and I'm in a phase with that at the moment with two or three players that missed quite a lot of cricket last year uh, through injury so they're now starting up and and because they've missed so much that's exactly what we're doing because it's required so I, variability is the thing that I go to first and I have to tell myself not to uh, and I should imagine there are other coaches out there that the variability thing would be the thing that they go to last and they're probably trying to tell themselves to use it a little bit more so I think it comes back to again what we are as coaches and having an understanding and awareness of where we are on that spectrum and Davis do you, how do you sort of um, get variability in there because I guess it's very easy you know if you think about um, it, for example, you know, the classic sort of fixed practice of going onto a bowling machine, setting the machine up to bowl in a very specific way and then repeatedly hitting the ball um, to try and improve your ability to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you go to the other end uh, where there is more variability built in and, and less you have less sort of confidence in, in what you're going to be doing. How, how do you build that into sessions in a way that is relevant to the players? That's, that's a good question. It's, it's first of all you've got to think about the, the time you've got available and the and the, the the number of weeks or number of sessions or whatever you're, you're working to. And I guess you're then going to divide it up into what time needs to be spent on what discipline, and and then within that, those disciplines, how much needs to be that repetitive practice where it's grooving over and over again, and and how much do you want to dedicate to something else, and and also what kind of cricketers have you got? So. Who responds best to what kind of practice? I can think um, of, of two brothers at our school uh, in particular who instinctively they will always go for that grooving over and over again, hitting balls, hitting balls, hitting balls. Then they'll move on to another shot, hit balls, hit balls, hit balls. Um, and then maybe they'll tie it together with some net practice or some um, uh, sidearm practice or whatever it is at the end, which has that variability in it. But um, for their own development maybe it would be better to try and take them away from that comfort zone of that repetitive practice and get them into another situation where there is the variability so for me I'm, I'm, I'm usually trying to go half and half in, in that half the sessions are going to have a, an amount of variability in there and it's going to be um, almost an element of surprise so what, what sort of session we did last year was um uh, batsman got to face um, uh, 20, 20 or 30 balls on a bowling machine practicing a pull shot um, the idea was they were then going to go into a net and they were going to face against live bowlers which is something that people will do a lot of the time you'll practice it on a machine then you go and face the live bowlers who are going to try and work on something similar and they might be trying to hit you in the hip or hit you in the shoulder but what we did instead was we then said the bowlers are going to try and hit off stump to, to sort of halfway up um, and that was a bit of a surprise there because they weren't expecting it. They'd geared themselves to one thing and then suddenly the variability of a, a different drill came in when the bowlers knew they were going to be advantaged because the batsman was looking for one thing rather than another. So um, you're going to change it a little bit depending on the group and depending on the time available and all that kind of stuff. But it's, I wouldn't say it's right, I wouldn't say it's wrong. We look to try and go about half and half, but there'll be someone who's a lot more scientific behind it who can, who can probably um, say that's 
that that is right or that is wrong, probably wrong, but it's try, what we try and do. There, I, I've been looking at, at the science and there. there is there's there's a lot. <laughs> when it comes to the sort of science of these kind of things, there's a lot of sort of understanding terms and getting into different models and things like that, which are, you know, it's, it's interesting to find out about. But when you are, you know, having to plan a coaching session, you haven't necessarily got time to to think about those detailed and complicated pieces of research. You just want to help someone improve their game of cricket so often it's just experimenting isn't it and you say to yourself like we'll try this with this person and see how they respond to it and see if they get the idea of it and see if it helps them and it, it might be that these things take a while to to click in but i what i've found anyway is that with with the grooving stuff um certainly there is a benefit to it, but perhaps not quite as quickly as you see with the more with the more variability stuff where you see people, you present a problem to somebody and then you see them solve it. And I think as a coach, it feels more satisfying to me to see someone solving a problem that you've presented to them by themselves than it is saying, right, okay, let's just work on getting your head a little bit further forward. Let's work on getting your foot in this position or whatever, whatever that particular thing is, because it might work. Um, and it might work over a over a longer period of time, but often it, it takes a long time to to see any results from that. And and often, you know, you, everyone knows the frustration of you spend ages working on some something technical with somebody, and then the minute they go into a game, they just forget about it and just do what they were doing in the first place anyway. And you don't necessarily see that when you see people solving problems, because once they've sort of worked out how to solve a problem, they continue to do that. And I think they find it easy to connect to that when they're trying to just play and play into a match context. And, and that's one of the reasons why having a variable approach to your coaching tends to get better better results in, in the real world, you know, which is out in the middle, isn't it? Um, uh, and so, I, again, whilst I didn't know any of the science behind it, it's a natural thing for me to go to, but it sort of made logical sense that that would be the case because the game of cricket is chaotic and a bit random, and the more that we can uh, automate our decision-making and our technical um, stuff, the, the better, really. And, and that's certainly what you see when you watch the best players in the world play, you know, watching Joe Root bat uh, amongst a batting lineup that isn't... Um, operating at 100%, you see that as a stark difference between what he does and, and what some of the ones that are finding their way in Test cricket uh, do. And I'm sure there's a lot of examples in all levels of cricket where we where we see that happening, where things appear to be more automated. And there's a good chance that, yes, grooving and uh, has played a huge role along the way, but there would have been a lot of that uh, variability practice chucked in there. Um, so, certainly for me, the more that you can get into your sessions, and I, I'm with you, David, it's not an easy one to plan for, but I think having the understanding of variability training and what that means to a coach and what that could mean in a session then allows us to just pick and choose our moment where we do introduce something and sometimes that can be really spontaneous you could get that idea off of the player you could just picture something in your head that might work given what's happened in the previous 10 balls in a, in a net and whilst a session plan is important we should never be a slave, a slave to that really um, so that's when I try to introduce a bit of variability in there is when I'm seeing something happen down the other end and I go I think this might work and then we stick it in there and uh, and generally we get a relatively positive result off of the back of it I think that's something to remember is I, I don't know what percentage you guys would think but how many how many sessions go exactly according to, to plan if, if you were to do a hundred sessions throughout a year I mean realistically 
I'd say maybe 15 go to exactly how you expect yeah I think I'd be I'd be optimistic in my world mate I'll be honest <laughs> well, I'm planning on cancelling 10 agree. so there's actually only 5 <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It's um, I'm 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 a planner. I'm a serial planner, but but also you know because I don't mind going off plan. Yeah, it's hardly any um, hardly any sessions go exactly as I've written them down because I, I feel like well you know no plan survives contact with the enemy. So you know it's <laughs> it's it's an old quote, but it's true, isn't it? You just have to sort of get stuck in, as you say, Gareth. Get on with it. Eh? Get on with it. Yeah. I think the other thing is um, when it when it comes to that kind of coaching, um, the other thing is that if you are not confident with your coaching, which yeah, I don't think everyone, anyone's 100% confident with their coaching, but if you're not confident with your coaching, having variability can seem like chaos. It can seem like not coaching, you know, because you're you're sort of, you're, you're, you're just allowing people to work things out for themselves and, and you're not... You, 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 it's almost like you're conceding any any input at all. Whereas if you're grooving with someone, you know, you're throwing the ball to them, you say, oh, well done, you know, you're hitting the ball there, you, you know, you're doing the right thing with your head, you, or, you know, you need to do this. It looks like coaching. It looks organised and it looks like coaching. So if you're not completely confident with that kind of variability, you, you can think to yourself, oh, am I even needed here? You know, or shall I just let them have a net and uh, off I go? <laughs> but you, but, uh, but also... I also think you build that up, don't you? But you build up that trust in the individual. And, you know, in, in a lot of the coaching that we do now, it's where, with parents that sit on balconies or outside of a net as well. So you wouldn't start a process with variable practice. You would probably start to build that rapport and that trust through some more conventional and more historical ways of coaching. And then you would introduce that at the uh, appropriate times. You know, and, and if, a, if a parent that's known me for a long time watches me coach their kid, that they know that I go to to a uh, variability practice quite quickly they wouldn't know what the term was they wouldn't know what it looked like but actually if they listen to this they go oh that's what he's doing but you know you wouldn't you'd be a madman wouldn't you to go in and just go well this is what we're going to have randomly have a go at now um because they might be paying they might be paying some decent dosh and be going what on earth have i what on earth have i wasted my money on so it's it's really important that um, we are spontaneous, but we're also doing that within a framework of building rapport and trust. Because without trust, uh, coaching and, and, and being coached and paying for coaching, uh, you know, that's not going to work particularly uh, long term. So um, yeah, you, you can be more you can be more variable as and when you've built all those things up, really. I was, I was going to say, did, did you say that no coach is 100% confident? Because I can definitely think of a, a few that I've, uh, <laughs> I've, I've spoken to online at various stages who are, who are fairly confident. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps presenting yourself as 100% confident is slightly different from being 100% confident. <laughs> true, very true. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't have any doubt in their mind as to anything that they do with their coaching, you've, you've got to question that, surely. They know everything about everything with, with no flaws at all. That's a, <laughs> that's, that, yeah. maybe, maybe, they do, maybe they do exist, but in their heart of hearts, do they really? I, I'm pretty sure they don't. Only on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with everyone who knows everything on Twitter, definitely. Let's answer some questions now that have been sent in by listeners to the show. Um, the way this works is that uh, the questions are sent in um, via email or Facebook or 
many other ways and we do our best to answer them and then we pick a best question which wins the prize of an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com and um, you can send in questions to us for future shows by emailing coach at pitchvision.com and we'll tell you about social media ways of getting in touch with us towards the end of the show and the first person who's done that this week is Yanath. And Yanath says, I'm a left arm, medium fast bowler, and I run in with a short run up, about 15 yards. When I approach the crease and land my front foot on the crease, I seem to stop abruptly to deliver the ball and have no momentum after releasing the ball. My peers say that I almost stop and it doesn't look natural. But I feel like if I don't stop, then I don't transfer all the momentum into the ball. I try to change the way I get through the crease but I feel like I'm not transferring all the momentum into the ball. I don't understand how a bowler with an orthodox action feels the impact on the front foot at the point of release. Can you shed some light on this? Well, I think this is a great question, and thanks very much for the detail of what you go through, and also for sort of contrasting that detail with what other people do and what other people talk to you about. I think uh, I think it shows that you've got somebody here who's got a good understanding of his body. And I'm sensing, because injury hasn't been uh, mentioned in the question at all, is that despite the fact that uh, you seem to stop at the crease and put all of your energy into the ball, that you haven't picked up any major injuries. I'm, I'm, that's all I can go on from a question because normally if there's been an injury associated, it will be included within the question. So I'm going to make that assumption. Rightly or wrongly, I'm going to make that assumption that you haven't had uh, injury challenges. So the, the follow-through is really, the whole of the process of a follow-through is to help us decelerate after doing all of that stuff and to bring the body back um, to absorb that force and dissipate that force so we can uh, repeat the action over and over again, six balls and over, uh, you know, 10 overs a day, X amount of overs in a, in a given year. That's what the follow-through is all about. Um, and it seems that you're, you've got a shortened version or, um, or in fact, no version of that at all. So uh, if it's not hurting you, which it sounds like it isn't, I suppose there is a, a question about whether you should maintain doing what you do and what would be the benefit of following through if it's then going to feel as if you're not getting everything uh, projecting into a ball, any of that momentum that you've transferred all the way up from the ground up into the ball is is not being used properly, and that's going to be a sensation that you, you don't want to have as a you don't want to have as a bowler. So, if as long as there's no injury, I'd say okay, it's it's different. Um, and my next question would be, what's your run-up pace like? Because I've yet to see anybody, as you've said said here, run up fast bowl with pace and great energy where all of the uh, momentum is being put into the back of a cricket ball and then be able to stop because the follow through should be a natural thing rather than the force thing it's about bringing our body back to a position of of rest so we can repeat that on a on a regular basis so um i'd be fascinated to know what your run-up speed is like or maybe to see a video of your run-up going into your bowling action because it could be that you're not bowling you're not running up fast enough um, and if you could run up faster, allied with this ability to stop at the crease and put all that energy into the back of the creek ball, we could be talking about sparks coming off of it if we can add that little bit of extra momentum allied to the mass and the good stuff that's in your bowling action, uh, which would in- then incur a 
follow through because your body would have to. So those are my two points. One, if it's injury free and you're bowling absolute rockets, um, then maybe explore keeping doing that. But my question would be, are you running in fast enough? Um, because there could be more in the tank. Stop is an interesting word, isn't it, uh, Lavers? Because if we're talking about fast bowling, then um, you do want to you do want to kind of use your front leg as a way of um, putting on the brakes to allow the energy to go up through your body so you can get the get it up into the ball so you do want to you, in a way you do want to stop but you don't you don't want to stop at the crease you want to stop get the tra- energy into the ball and then keep going with um with the momentum so i'm, I'm wondering if there's something there maybe maybe perhaps jumping high instead of long that, that would be the, the the avenue I would go down. I'd be looking at how he's carrying his momentum into that front foot contact. And obviously a big part of that is the run-up. And he suggested his run-up is a little bit shorter than others he, he feels. Um, so maybe he's not quite as quick in that run-up. But also, what, what does the jump do when he gets there? Is, does he then jump vertically or is he jumping forwards? And you'd imagine that with the immediate stop he's got, he's probably not running enormously fast and then jumping up, possibly jumping up and and leaning back a little bit and, and from there he's not actually going forward so when he is delivering the ball it's probably all shoulder um, and a bit of body and but largely arm speed rather than um, everything working together that, that, that's just a guess but I'd, I'd certainly be looking at that jump um, and trying to think about is the, is the jump doing what I want it to do is it continuing the transfer of momentum from my run up into my delivery um, so, so definitely have a look at that. Um, you, you're absolutely right about the the front leg as well, I suppose, because you're looking for that to 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 be the blocker that then transfers the weight up that, up that kinetic chain. But if you're running in quickly, there's a lot more going on than that front leg. Your front leg doesn't stop you up the whole body because the hips have already rotated, so your right leg's coming through. Your right shot side will be coming through to deliver the ball. So if that all those other things are going forwards, there is going to be um, forward momentum after the landing of that front foot, which should carry forwards, which again suggests maybe we're working in a more of a vertical up and down motion rather than a forwards backwards one. Um, the other thing you mentioned in in there was um, that you don't feel like you transfer momentum into the ball. I. I'd keep hold of that idea of what one feels like and what the other feels like, but I'd also try and do a little bit of um, testing and get a bit of feedback from from elsewhere or get some, some clear data on that. So when you bowl one way or the other, try and ask the batsman, try and ask other people what they feel the difference is in the way you bowl. So is it quicker? Is it doing something different? Is it more consistent or whatever? Ask yourself, ask the people around you. And also, if possible, see if you can get... Um, a speed gun on it and is, is there any difference in what you're churning out are you adding two three four miles an hour by doing one or the other it might be that one way you are and the other way you aren't or the, or the opposite way around so um, try and get a little bit more concrete evidence that you can build upon that feel that you have because it might be you feel one thing you might be feel like bowling not quite so fast but in reality it's actually coming out um, a little bit quicker or, or, or vice versa so uh, yeah, use the people around you to, to get some feedback there and, and if you can put some actually numbers numbers on it as well that would be even better 
there possibly a case for some kind of intervention here with a with a band, maybe um, sort of to, to pull to pull him through more to sort of encourage that that feeling of going through the action rather than stopping when you get to the crease. Maybe sort of uh, resistant bands or band or something from the you know from the front rather than I know it's often done at the back, isn't it? But um, perhaps from the front to pull it through something like that. What I'm actually thinking, I'm trying to think of people I've seen who are similar, and then obviously not stopping immediately, but the front foot does provide a good block for that initial momentum. Um, The bits that follow after that are usually the following rotation that brings the other side of the body through, which then continues you going forwards, and then your body manages that and you'll follow through. So one person I've worked with before who had um, an action where they stopped fairly abruptly um, didn't actually have much body rotation so they were all arm speed so their front arm instead of coming back past their left thigh left hip actually folded across their body towards their right hip and because of that and it didn't have any pulling motion there was very little rotation and because of that very little um, momentum going forwards after that front foot block so you might find that your, your front arm isn't entirely dedicated to that kind of push-pull movement that we try and associate with speed development these days and you might find it's folding across your body and, and because of that there isn't a lot of momentum being generated by that body rotation afterwards. Um, there could be a number of different issues. It's a really interesting one, actually. It'd be nice to see a video of it and see what, what, what you're actually doing and see if there are any changes. But look, going back to the first comment from Gareth, really, if, you, if what you're doing is, um, isn't hurting you and you're getting the desired outcome that you're happy with, don't be like, desperate to make changes just for the sake of it because other people are, are saying that what you do looks a little bit odd if it's working really well then then stick with it and, and don't be too tempted to, to rush in and, and reinvent the wheel when what you've got is, is working pretty well next question is from Lalit and Lalit says do you have any tactical tips for left arm spinners in a pressure situation when the batsman is batting well well it's um, you're, you're at a good advantage there because cause largely the left arm spinner is a, is a fantastic addition to having your side at, at any level really so um, having that ability to turn the ball away from the bat and being the control ideally of a finger spinner does uh, just put you in a really strong position um, I usually find that when we're, in, when we're in these kind of questions it's how well do you manage your, your field with what you're trying to do so if you're trying to put the ball in a particular area and trying to create a certain shot how well does your field match up to that and also how aware of you of the things that may go wrong so whether it's over pitching or dragging dragging short or getting a little bit wider or, or getting a bit straight or whatever it might be how well is that also backed up by the, the field you've got um, so initially I've been making sure that I've got a clear plan of this is where I want to hit him. I'm comfortable I can put a ball into this area and I can create this and I don't give an easy option after that. Um, and if there is something that I do get wrong along the way, I've also got someone posted that can manage that if I do make a mistake. So that would be my first port of call um, for that. Um, obviously other things are going to come into it like the surface, like the particular match situation you're talking about and whether it's left hand right hand which can have a big impact on on the, on the spinners who are either turning the ball in or turning the ball, ball away but I'd, I'd certainly start by having a real firm grip on what I'm trying to get the batsman to do and how I'm setting my field up I think a lot of it, it this this is where I think 
uh, for spinners, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? Because you, you have the potential to to um, get a lot of tap if a batsman is in and has decided to go after you. So that's where I think the the spinner has to be the most brave uh, type of cricketer because that you know in terms of in terms of uh, your bowling analysis, it could, this is the time when it you really have to sort of um, steal yourself and have a plan and be confident in your ability to execute that plan even if a guy's bombing you from the other end I don't know what you think uh, Gareth but I feel like a lot of times like this it's it's having comp- whatever your tactics are don't matter so much it's more to do with how confident you are in putting them into action yeah and, and really and you know I always say it but really give it a go and back yourself to give it a go and you could still get whacked out of the park or somebody could play really well um, against you but you, you know be brave enough um, because often that that is the best way as a spinner and if you think about the risk associated with that from a batting point of view they've only got to make a slight mistake and I, I, I think I heard because I had to go off very briefly but I think I heard Sam talking about the field being really important and, and somebody like Mushtaq Ahmed when he was getting whacked he always used to say to the England bowlers lots of uh, Graham Swan and Adil Rashid and Monty Panesar but the first thing you change is the field you keep bowling exactly the same way but you adjust the field and then the next thing that you change is possibly angle so you might bowl from different parts of the, the crease whether it be close into out or whatever just to change that a little bit and then you've got the option of going around the wicket potentially and changing that angle again which normally would then change the field a little bit more but the starting point is don't change what you do back yourself to deliver what you're doing and then change your field first before you then go to try to bowl like somebody else or trying to bowl at the plan C or plan D. Stick to your own plan of what you're trying to deliver, but just shift fielders around. And I thought that was one of the best bits of very simple advice to, to give to to a, a cricketer, particularly when you're facing against really good batters, because often what they're looking for you to do is to go off your original plan of what you're trying to bowl. And if they do that, if you make you do that, then they've won really at that point. So be brave. And it's not easy, is it, when you can't knock somebody's head off to be brave? Um, but uh, the best ones do. I think I think somebody like uh, world cricket at the moment, so you've got Adil Rashid that rarely, if ever, gets a, a gig in test match cricket, yet he's England's most vital bowler in one-day cricket. And why is that? It's because the batters are always looking to take that risk, and that's where he comes into play. And if he wasn't brave, and if he tried to become a defensive bowler within that England setup, then he probably wouldn't get a game at all. But because he runs up and he bowls his normal deliveries um, to relatively defensive fields and people make mistakes, he, he's the most uh, the most exciting bowler that they've got in their lineup. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is a mindset thing in many ways of thinking to yourself, good, good, I want someone to come after me because that's giving me a chance to get them out. Because if they attack me, I've got more chance to get them out if they, than if they don't attack me. So... Um, the really good spinners. I remember a story about, I don't know how true this is, but I suspect it might be. Uh, Bish and Betty used to applaud when someone came down the wicket and hit him over his head for a boundary. Because he, <laughs> he'd think, oh, I've got, this is my this is my plan coming into action. And I'm prepared to give up a couple of boundaries to get your wicket. So you keep doing it, mate, because I'm going to get you in the end. And uh, I think if you can, if you can go in with that mindset, then uh, that's 
three quarters of the tactics that you need is uh, you know and the rest kind of works itself out um and you can get into field settings and things but um there's so many variables there we can't really talk about it but um yeah to to, to go in with that mindset of going how am i going to get this guy out he's if he's going to attack me i'm going to make sure that i've got a fielder in the right place for when he gets it wrong and away you go it's a really interesting one, that, because Barry Richards, who was a fantastic batter for South Africa, didn't play many games because they were banned from international cricket at that time, but was exceptional and broke all records for Hampshire. Whenever he played a spinner, he'd like look to hit them back over their head as quickly as he possibly could in, in their first or second over. As soon as the opportunity came, hit it back down the ground over their head, he would do. Because he reckoned that the, at least 70% of those bowlers would then change the way that they bowled. And he said there was one bowler who was a good bowler in county cricket that he reckoned after he'd hit him back over his head that he could have had a blindfold on and been able to play against him because all he did was bowl flat and try to be defensive at that point. He said it was the easiest thing in the world at that point. Uh, and you contrast that to Bishop Betty as a spinner because that guy went defensive and changed his plan. And Bishop Betty, on the other hand, applauded a batter for hitting him back over his head because he knows that there's opportunities for him to get wickets as a result. And uh, that's the mindset of the Betty mindset is the thing that we need to try and convey within our young players. Just just on that as well, that kind of mindset of, of, the, of the spinner there, one thing that you do often see is you get the mindset of the spinner isn't quite right and, and that becomes quite difficult. Sometimes the mindset of the spinner's right but maybe the keeper isn't with him and you want to get that team. If you can get the keeper, the batter and, and the spinner all together and hopefully a few people in the ring or a few people in the outfield as well, then you've got all 11 buying into the same thing and that often doesn't happen. Often it is the key, the spinner on his own and maybe the keeper's going with him and there's a few people wandering around in the outfield thinking what's going on here. There's not really, not really kind of giving a lot of enthusiasm or encouragement to the situation whereas if you can get that full buy-in and that full backing of confidence not only is the spinner going to get better but also um, the batter's going to realise he's in a lot more of a fight than just with uh, a few people wandering around who aren't, aren't, aren't as interested and a spinner who's working hard on his own. And that is the end of the show for another week. We do have to do one more thing before we leave, and that's to decide on the winner of the competition this week, the online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And the two people who are in the running this week are Yanath and his question about stopping at the crease when he bowls, and Lalit and his question about tactical tips for spinners. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris? I'm going to go with Yanath this week. I thought his question was so detailed that he gave us a really good picture. We often talk about sending in video, but in some cases, like this one, you probably don't need it. Um, so it was a great question as, as well. Um, my challenge, I know Sam's put something in about jump height as well, which I think is a good shout, but I'd also have a look at that, that run-up pace. Could you be running in faster and therefore need naturally to follow through as opposed to trying to think about it? Yeah, good luck. Hope that works out for you, Yanath. And Gareth, if someone was listening to the show and they wanted to send in their question and get the chance to win the prize, how could they get in touch with us? They could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That is correct. You can also get us through uh, various other means. You can get us from the pitchvision website, actually, pitchvision.com. If you head over there, um, there are uh, uh, accounts for 
uh, people that you can set up and um, you can send a message to us. We're, we're Pitch Vision Academy, so just search for us there and send us a message that way. Or if you want to use Facebook, you can do that by going to facebook.com slash Pitch Vision Academy or Twitter at Pitch Vision Acad. You can listen to the show every week if you want. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast app, searching for Pitch Vision Academy and tapping or clicking on subscribe. We'll be happy if you do that. And uh, if you want to get the podcast from the Pitch Vision website, you can do that too. You can head over to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link for all the details and all the old shows. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Gareth. Cheers, Labors. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, guys. <laughs>